Hi, everyone. Welcome to Forgotten Feminists with the incredibly special guest today, my cousin, Aisha Hauser. Aisha, thank you, thank you, thank you so much for agreeing to do this. I'm really excited about this. I don't know how we're going to keep it together. I have so much to say to you, and you have so much to tell us about, um, and I'm really looking forward to this. So thank you, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Oh, my goodness. All right, so um, I'm going to get started by asking you to start at the beginning. So growing up in New Jersey, can you tell us about that childhood? So I'm mostly interested in like how big of a part did Islam play in your childhood or was it more like your Egyptian culture? Um, Did it create any confusion? bring out any, you know how it is being a first generation American, right? Like you're constantly straddling that bridge. So I want to hear about all that kind of stuff. Um, Any issues with you or your family? You know, what was it like growing up in New Jersey? Thank you. I will. Um, First of all, oh my gosh, I am in awe of you. My cousin, Yasmin, I just love you to death. Um, I was actually born in Skindadea in Alexandria, Egypt, and then came to um, the United States when I was still a toddler. And uh, so my parents, it was not a love match. They were 11 years apart. They didn't particularly like each other, but here they are. They were married. They actually had three children. I'm the first. They had two more. One died as an infant. So left was my sister and I. Um, Part of the tension between my parents, other than just basic not liking each other, is my dad, even though he helped start a mosque in Jersey City, New Jersey, um, he was part of the group of families that started that. Um, my mother has always been much more observant and much more, um, I, I call her a fundamentalist and maybe because the word has such a terrible connotation right now, but she's certainly stri- always been strictly observant. She's been in um, hijab since she was 17. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of that time, in fact, when she came to the States with me, um, at one point she tells us, she told me the story growing up that my dad told her to take off the hijab because she was bringing more attention to herself, which at that point she labeled him the devil. Like he mm-hmm. was the devil trying to, um, um, you know, uh, keep her from being pious. And so, so growing up, I mean, first of all, I spoke Arabic until I was four. Like I didn't learn Arabic, and my dad was starting to panic because at that time, um, I I'm born in the fall. And they let, as long as you turn five before December, you were allowed to go into kindergarten. I think they changed it now, but um, we watched Sesame Street together. We, my dad bought me books and they were still together at the time when I started kindergarten, everything at home was musty, was Egyptian and Muslim, everything. And then I'd go and be with the, um, Gefirin, the, the infidels, <laughs> my mother, she would say some pretty funny shit. Like it's funny, but yet like, she was like, do you know why they don't, they don't get cold Americans? Cause they're Christian and they don't get cold. Like she had the weird, like, I mean, it's funny, but it's also like, that is fucked up. Like when I think about it, um, some of the things she said, but, um, at home, it I was, just gonna interrupt and, you really quickly and tell you, my mom used to say that too. She'd say, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because right? they eat like, pork they don't feel cold that's what I, that's what I was told holy yes. crap right like what in the world so uh yeah it was super bizarre <laughs> I was like what is happening so she um yeah she so so growing up very much it was it was um 
the challenge was we were isolated. Okay. We'd actually, we didn't become isolated to my parents' divorce. My mother left my father. And let me tell you something, almost 90% of the Egyptian community turned on her. Basically the husbands were afraid their wives were going to do the same thing. So they were basically like, we're fucking miserable. You need to stay miserable too. It was kind of the message, both implicit and explicit. She did have a couple of friends who helped her get an apartment so it was my mother, my sister, they had a horrible custody battle for a couple of years. Um, and then when my, my father died when I was a kid, so we didn't have that much time when I was 13 by the time he was gone. And my mother very much wanted to raise Muslim girls, good Muslim girls. Um, I did not experience the horror show that you did for sure. I mean, I've read your book several times, um, but for me, it was, oh, so we were not only isolated from Americans, we were isolated from other Egyptians because once she was shunned, we, and, but, but she did take us back to Egypt as often as she could afford to. So we would then be with our cousins. And then that's when I, when I got older there and I realized who was hiding beer bottles, who was dating behind me. I was like, what the fuck is happening? So that was eye opening and um, fascinating to uh, experience the, the um, really what I, what I grew to recognize as the collective uh, denial and the collective cognitive dissonance of this entire culture. It's like, yeah, you could do these things, but as long as you don't talk about it and don't tell anybody, um, and so growing up, I mean, I'm an extra with a capital E. And so I wanted to join clubs. I wanted to be in sports. I wanted to do so many things and I wasn't allowed. And it was mm. deeply painful. And here's the thing that I will tell you that led to kind of decisions for the rest of my life. I tried to be the good little Muslim. I really did mm. for my childhood. And I remember a line in your book when you talked about your sister being observant and thinking, why can't I just believe? I literally, I might've even cried reading that because I'm like, I used to think the same thing. Why can't I just believe this? Why can't I just make this easy on myself and believe, right? Um, and so it, all through high school, she, again, like, so come senior year, and this is a weird, it may seem weird to you all that this is what ended up kind of breaking something inside me. It was senior prom time. And, and there was a group of girls that were going to go without dates. And in fact, one of the girls, her, her uncle owned a limo company. This was Northern New Jersey. So prom in the eighties, this is what everybody lived for when you were a teenager in the United States, in New Jersey. Um, and I, I said, okay, this is the plan. We're going to go It's only girls. There's no dates. I'll be right home. Like, I'm just going to go to the dinner party. And she said, no. And the reason she said, no, she never said this, but I, I surmised this later in life. Her friend, one of the very few Egyptians she still talked to, her son was a year older than me. He had come home drunk from the prom, mm. growing up all over. So she convinced my mom that that's what I was going to do. Mm. And my mother believed this woman over me. I said, I, there's no, I did everything, everything you said. And I, and I cried for a year. Like I shit you not. Like I cried for a year. And finally you know, the night she, and she got like angry at me for crying. And I'm like, but, and then there was something inside me that said, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what the truth is. It doesn't matter how much I do. But at that point, I still wasn't ready quite to leave the whole thing. Um, but I just knew that I was, I was doing all of this. It would for never nothing. be enough. 
It was never going to be enough. It was never going to be enough. And so, um, it, 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 it was the root of like something starting to shift inside my soul. But I, but I went to college and she, from the movie Kung Fu Panda, you meet your destiny on the road you take to avoid it. My mother would not let me go away to school, college, um, because she wanted, again, to raise a good Muslim girl. I was The plan was I was going to finish college and go back to Egypt to marry my first cousin who I was engaged yeah. to for a day, maybe a little more than a day. That's a different story. But um so she, so she said, you're going to Rutgers in Newark, which was 20 minutes away from my house. I did get a car. And that was where I met my Jewish boyfriend who became my <laughs> Jewish husband. <laughs> I know she wouldn't find it funny, but it was pretty funny. I'm like, oh, look what happened. Funny. You yeah. wouldn't let me go away. And here's where we are. So there's a, okay, I don't know. Did I even answer your question? I just went you on. Did. And- no, you, I loved it. I'm going to ask you some follow-ups, but I just wanted to say that um, there's an Egyptian saying that's like the ghost that you're afraid of is the one that's going to possess you, right? El Afrit, though. El Afrit, So a couple of things. So first of all, I just want to take it all the way back. And when you talked about your parents not liking each other, was that a kind of marriage that was um, forced on both of them, like arranged, planned that they didn't have any part of it? Like, did they even know each other? Oh yeah. So here's the wacky, it's all wacky, but this is a wacky thing. So my dad, um, had lived in Russia. Um, and you know, our uncle Muhammad lived in Germany, my, our dad, our uncle, one of, one of our many uncles. Um, so my dad was in Germany, um, in Russia in the middle, mid sixties, he actually brought a Russian woman home and my grandmother, Aisha, who I'm named after hated her. And so she, he told her, she told him ship her back. And I'll pick a nice Masri, a nice Egyptian girl for you. Now, as my aunt Erica, who we both still love, she's German, we love her. She said to me, your grandmother picked out a woman for your father, the opposite of the woman he picked out for himself. So my grandmothers, my two grandmothers are friends. I mean, not anymore, they're both dead. But at the time, we're super close friends. And my dad wanted my mother's older sister. She was already married. And they're like, well, here's Safa. She's next in line. So... And my mother, at the time, my dad was going to live in Saudi Arabia. And so she's like, oh, I want to live in Saudi Arabia and go to Mecca every day, whatever, however right. often she wants to go. Because mm. again, she was already pious. She was already, so that's, no, she, and actually she just, I was there in the fall uh, in DC to visit her. And she was telling me, all my brothers told me not to marry him. Mm. And my father told me not to marry him. But I, and I'm like, what the, what the fuck was that about? But she said she believed him. He lied to her. They had a terrible marriage. So anyway, no, it was not at all. In fact, quite the opposite. She had everyone except her mother because the two grandmothers are VFFs, mm-hmm. um, except for her mother. Um, everyone else said, this is a terrible idea. Don't do this. And they were saying that because they knew that they wouldn't be compatible. Yeah. 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 They were eight years. They were 11 years apart. She was 28. She was 17. Um, and they had nothing in common. My mother had never left Egypt, let alone lived in Russia. I mean, my dad at that point lived, if you went to school there. And so they had zero income and they knew he was Syed. Like he was, I don't know. I love him. He's my favorite uncle. I know. I love him, but he was just, you know, listen, Apple does not fall far. Like he was, you know, (laughs) I'm now a world traveler. Uh, He was a traveler. He was like, 
you know, really, he was, you know what he was? Um, he was a hedonist. He wanted to have fun. He wanted to, yeah. and, and my mother and that's wasn't. that's why I loved him. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So, yeah. So the question that I was asking you um, that you didn't get to was um, just your experience with the greater American society around you. So growing, going to school in kindergarten, not knowing English. So you're basically coming in, even though you've been in America for, you know, since you were a toddler, you're entering school almost as like a new immigrant. You don't speak the language, um, not just kindergarten, but throughout your whole life. Did you feel a disconnect between the greater American society or did you feel um, like embraced by it? Like, did you deal with a lot of racism is what I'm asking. Fucking totally. So I grew up in the town, if any of you are familiar with the show, The Sopranos, yes, um, it was filmed in Nutley and Belleville. So I lived in Belleville. So it was mostly um, Irish Catholic, mostly Catholic, Italian, um, and people. So why I pronounce my name Aisha, it is Aisha, is because not one of my teachers, I would know when they'd get Mm -hmm. to my name because they would stumble. And I just wanted them to say whatever... So somebody started calling me Asia, they could pronounce it. And I wasn't, I don't know that I was ever shy, but I was intimidated, right? I didn't want to be different. And then people would say, why does your mom wear that thing on her head? Why mm-hmm. do you do this? That, and the other thing. So it was really, um, I, I, I also <laughs> thought Americans were kind of dumb because they would say, were you born in a pyramid? I'm like, they were mm-hmm. tombs. No one was born in a pyramid, even when they were built. Like, I don't even know what the fuck you're asking me. So um you know, I remember just feeling always deeply othered and I, where we lived, uh, because I will tell you, we were, we had the poverty. We lived in poverty after my parents divorced. And I remember at eight years old, um, translating for my mother welfare documents, um, and having to fill out paperwork and who, you know, I'm sure I fucked it up because I was eight. Um, but, um, it, it was definitely startling and, um, it, it was painful a lot of the time because there was also not an opportunity to get to know these people, except in school. Like the, my friend group, we all lived in the Valley and it was where all the black and Brown kids lived. And then in the, on the Hill, were all the white kids. Now it's funny about when you're a kid, you don't realize quite how basically this was a working class community, the entire town. But I thought the kids on the Hill were rich because they had their own house where we lived in roach infested apartments. So it's kind of interesting, your frame of reference, you know, one's frame of reference as a kid. Um, but I was, you know, and the kids who accepted me the most were the other black and brown kids, the white kids, like the white girls were the worst. Like I still get mean girls are real. At least I experienced them as real. And we're just, um, really just cruel. I had a teacher who was cruel to me, a white woman who was heinous. And when I was out, like a kid told me like, you know, she was making fun of you and your mother. And I'm like, what the, and who are you going to complain to? Nobody gave a shit. This was the eighties. Um, nobody cared. And really at that point, people's frame of reference was Iran and the hostage crisis for any Muslim. And I remember I was, maybe 11, 10 or 11, we were in Newark and my mom asked a woman what time it was. We all knew the woman could hear her and the woman walked, even walked faster. And my mother just turned to me and said, oh, she couldn't hear me. And the pain I felt, cause I'm like, yeah, she could hear you. She was ignoring you, but we never talked about it. We didn't say it was because you were covered and she was, you know, maybe she was afraid, but 
you know, it was, it, I never, um, hmm, I always felt like a fish out of water and, and Americans were make sure to make me feel that way. They were quick, especially other kids, you know, they were, um, and again, not every, the white kids, especially the, the black and brown kids were actually pretty awesome. And we, that was our group. It was like, we, and the town, yeah, it was, it was, there was, there was racial, I was called an, uh, a sand N word quite mm-hmm. often, even in college. Um, anyway, so I always felt othered and it wasn't until I was well into adulthood that I accepted my hair. I used to straighten my hair a lot as a kid because mm-hmm. in Egypt, they'd say comb your hair. And I'm like, it's not messy. It's curly. Mm-hmm. And as you can mm-hmm. see, I have curls. And so mm-hmm. I didn't learn to appreciate them until I was in college. And it was like, oh, people are paying to get their hair like mm-hmm. mine that I have for free. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, it was painful a lot. And it was, I didn't like, I didn't, I, I didn't really appreciate who I was until well into adulthood. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Egypt is, is definitely like that with an obsession with straight hair, with light skin, with light eyes. There's a lot of that going on in Egypt that I was really surprised to see. Cause here I am thinking like, I'm gonna get tanned. And my family is like trying to put the umbrella, you know, the sun shine, like shading me. Like, you don't wanna have, you don't wanna have dark skin. I'm like, what are you talking about? This is what. This is what people want. They want a tan, but yeah, that is a completely different uh, perspective. Um, so did your mom ever try to force you or your sister into hijab? No. And I will say that is her nod to being liberal. She would never call herself a liberal, but she is like, I never forced you to do this thing. I'm like, which is true. She never, ever, um, she, uh, did teach us to pray. And maybe I did a couple of times, but like, I still know the fatha and um, there's one other, well, I guess I don't know it, but there's, <laughs> I still can tell you in Arabic, holy shit. Yeah. It um, gets stuck. It gets stuck, literally stuck. Um, and so she never, ever, um, I, I will say my mom <laughs> who she's a badass, and she, and she, she doesn't realize how much like her I really am. Mm-hmm. And she really did try to be independent. The reason why she didn't, she divorced my dad when she was 26 and she already had two girls, seven and, and three. And in a strange country with no support system, like that barely knowing the language. She wasn't, she only had, we only had green cards. I wasn't naturalized until I was 19. Immigration systems always been fuck shit. That's a whole nother show. But anyway, I had my green card when I was um, a child. Her father came here. And he said to her, you have to come back with me. And she said, you're going to make me remarry. I don't want another man. Good for her. And she said, um, she said, if you can keep my mother and she didn't have a great relationship with her mother. She said, if you can keep my mother from, you know, telling me what to do and forcing me to remarry. And he said to her, he couldn't. So she, (laughs) how sad, but she stayed, (laughs) she stayed. And then when my father died, our uncle Muhammad said to her, if you're going to, if you want them to be Muslim, you need to take them back now. And she's like, no, I can raise good Muslim girls. Poor thing. She, she, she did try, but she, um, really, I think my mom has this deep trust in Allah that I, I, I genuinely feel sad because she'll say, the only thing that has never let me down is Allah. And I always want to say to her, like, there's literal little evidence of that. Like I, but, but this is what, you know, like, who am I to take that away from? I'm like, okay, like, sure. Um, she really tried her best, 
to trust that we were going to know the truth. That's her whole thing is like, mm. how can you turn away from the truth? Mm. Yeah. So, um, yeah, she, she, she has a lot of strength and she was very stubborn. She still is very stubborn. Um, but you know, she wouldn't, she didn't force us to do that. And she's very clear. Well, I didn't force you to true. Yes. Thank you. I guess. Yeah. 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 Small victories. Um, so when you mentioned earlier that when you got to college, you fell in love with a Jewish man, later married him, had two beautiful babies, but tell me about what it was like when you, um, started your relationship with Lane. How did your mom react to that? Yeah. So, I told her, uh, so Wayne said, you need to tell your mother we're dating. Like, I'm not dating you behind your mother's, which before that I was like, anybody I dated was like, yeah, sure. Whatever. But so I told her and the first, her first reaction is he has to convert. I'm like, well, we're just dating. I'm not sure if we're gonna actually get married, but she's like, no, he has to convert. So then she said, I'm going to take him out to dinner. So she took it without me. So she got his number, called him. And she said, when you must convert, you have to, she brought the Quran in English, then bought a picture of me and my first cousin. And first she started with, this is who Aisha really loves, dude. So then oh. he's like, okay. Um, and then she, she gave him the Quran and said, okay, read this is, you know, become uh, Muslim and then you can marry Aisha. And he says to her, he goes, oh, no, thank you. It's a nice story. So hand and the only reason why I even know that from her, she comes home and tells her friend, nice story. And then she was like, this day. So now our joke throughout my whole marriage was nice story. I'm like, she lost her shit, poor thing. And after that, she's like, if you if you stay with him, I'm leaving. And I said, um, I said, this is you know what I said to him, her. I said, this isn't about him. I said, at that point, I had no idea I was going to marry him. I said, this is not about him. And it's not about any man. It's about telling you the truth. And it's about living my life. I hear you that this is not what you want for me, but this, I am not, I would never choose some dude over my mother. That's not a thing. I said, this is it because if it wasn't this, it was going to be something else. Right. So, um, she, she then, (laughs) So at that time I was 20. So I hadn't even finished college. It was my um, summer before my senior year of undergrad uh, college. And then uh, my sister was going into her senior year of high school. And my mother took her to Egypt and kept her there and didn't tell her she was going to keep her there. Um, It was, it was, I had to find housing. I mean, I, you know, I made do obviously, but um, did they tell, she packed, did she tell you that she was packing and leaving the country? She, she said she was leaving, but she also gave every indication she was coming back and then mm. stayed there. So, um, she panicked. And at that time I said to her, look, I'll stay Muslim, whatever, but he, we're always converting because I, there's plenty of Muslim men running around. Why would I convert one? Like, I don't feel that strongly about this. Um, but she said, no, you know, that's not accepted. And I said, look, here's the kicker. If I do marry this Jewish dude, it goes by the mother's lineage. So the kids won't even be Jewish by default. Like, what are we doing here? Mm-hmm. None of it mattered. Um, she, now here's why I say, cause I made her that offer years later when she did re-own me, she disowned me. And, and we didn't, I didn't see her for 16 years and I had two children. My children are her only grandkids. Um, 
and she came back, uh, when she came back, my two of my cousins came and one of them said to me, well, maybe you could just come back to Islam and then Wayne could do what he wants to go. That offer is off the table. I gave that offer fucking six, 20 years ago. Mm-mm. Statute of limitations has passed on that, my friend. No. So at that point, I was already became a Unitarian Universalist. No, I'm like, there's no going backwards. Um, and, and she, you know, we have uh, the day she met my kids, her grandchildren, and, and I was married to Wayne at that point. Uh, they were nine and six. <laughs> she, she says to them, I have gifts for you. And she got Luke Galabea, my son, which, you know, is a... Um, a, a, it's a dress, a gown for men. I mean, now people have seen them. And she bought for Layla a black abeya. Now she's nine and it's fucking black. So I said to her, Mama, I'm like, what? The? And my mother misunderstood my reaction. She's like, Layla, uh, the other colors were low class. And I'm like, whoa, babe, this is not about the colors. You bought a nine year old abeya. The fuck? <laughs> so black so not i mean if it was a pink abbey i wouldn't be thrilled about it so you know <laughs> so anyway then my mother's talking about Arabic, like she tries and i said mama i didn't teach them arabic and she said oh and then she said something like asshole about me and i said mama you know don't don't curse in front of them and she went <gasps> she looks at my kids again nine and six she goes your mother she's a son of a bitch asshole she tell me what to do. No, I kick her ass. And she, and I'm like, are you, and now my six-year-old son is looking at her like, where have you been hiding this deranged, oh hilarious woman? Like, where have you been hiding her? Cause she's fucking awesome. Like my kids now think she's like the most delightful thing in the world. And why have I been hiding her? She gives them gifts and she makes them laugh and literally is running around the house. So then I get up to leave. Cause now I'm just like, okay, I'm going nowhere. She, she's like five foot if she's a, a, an inch and I'm five, four. And she, she comes after me, starts lifting her leg as if to kick my ass, like literally. And I'm like, and now they're just in hysterics. Like, I'm like, okay, then it gets better. So now Wayne is there, my, my then husband. And she takes out the Quran and she goes, Wayne reads this. And she, so he's reading it and he looks up and goes, H, this is a part about the virgins. And I'm looking at her like, are you fucking serious right now? You're offering my husband virgins for him. What has happened? Like, yeah. So if you convert, you can get virgins in heaven. <laughs> you can get. <laughs> yes, me. Oh my, my mother gosh. is offering my then husband fucking virgins. Oh yeah, it didn't work though. <laughs> he's not. He's nice not interested. No, <laughs> nice story. No. Um. Yeah, I still don't know you, if I answer your question. I you, listen. You I'm, did. I'm you a did. preacher. <laughs> you tell me. Well, you give me one word, and I go. <laughs> no, that was awesome. I, I'm I'm actually really impressed with your sense of humor and how cool you are about this. Because my mom used to disrespect me in front of my daughter all the time, and it would upset me so much. Because here you are trying to raise your kid, and then you have somebody coming in and undermining you um it changed the dynamic for my for my older daughter and I like you know for my mom would tell her don't call her mom Uh, call her Yasmin and call me mom because she doesn't know how to be a mother she's not good enough to be your mother and so you know 
that sticks in her head, right? Like as a little kid, she's feeling like, so I couldn't, when I, when I would try to raise her, when I would try to discipline her, when I would try to be her mother, she'd go running to her grandmother because I don't know how to be a mother. Do you know what I mean? And she's oh, like yeah. at this point, like four or five years old. Um, so it was toxic and I needed to, to get her away from my daughter. Like it was, it was, it was a really bad situation. Yes. I mean, when I read your story, um, I, I will tell you like my heart like bled because you were raised by a sociopath, like your mom. And I say that I, I, I don't owe her any respect because it's a miracle. Like our ancestors held you and you were held by something other than your, because holy shit, was that woman a demon? And, and I know I'm talking about your mother, but she was a demon. Like my mother has limitations and definitely was emotionally fucked up in a lot of ways and said fucked up shit to me. Um, it, it wasn't that like, but, and by the time my kids met her, they were nine and six. So even if they tried, she tried something like that, they'd be like, mm. you know, they wouldn't quite think she was funny. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. um, yeah. so what you, what you had was just completely a deranged, uh, woman who was probably a sociopath. And I apologize. I don't want to hurt your feelings at all, but <laughs> it's like, I, hurt my feelings. I know, but it's, it's painful. It's painful to here's, here's my wound. My mother wanted to abort me and she wanted to give me away. She didn't, she knew she hated my father. And I lived my life with the story that I want. She wanted to abort me. She also wanted to get free. Like it wasn't even about that. She didn't love me. And it wasn't about me, the person she didn't know me. And she doesn't say that story wanting to hurt me. She just wanted to be free. And she, she wanted uh, people to help her. She wanted to divorce my father much after me Um, and nobody in her family. They were like, no, so her thing was like her, her effort to get free never really worked. Um, you know, your mom wanted to hurt, like was just had like a, a really a mental illness that caused her to be deeply abusive and horrific. So um, in that respect, we have, I think, really different wounds. Like, I mean, the same wounds in terms of Islam, but different because um, like I said, when I, and, and you, I got to, I had the privilege of reading your book before it was published. Um, but I remember reading it like in a few hours. I don't even think I could even put it down um, because just A, you're an excellent writer and B, um, the trauma that you went through. I'm like, wow. In addition to the spiritual and emotional abuse, you just had this really, um, yeah, just really deranged woman who, you know, I'm sorry she ever said things like that to your, your child because it's awful. I appreciate that. Um, thank you. So um, you did mention our Aunt Erica and our Khalil Muhammad. So I want to talk a little bit about them. First of all, I love that Aunt Erica agrees with me about how deranged my mom is and that you agree with me. Like, this is validating for me when members of our family are like, yep, <laughs> um, well done getting away from that. Um, but I want to talk about Khalil Muhammad because he was living in New York. I don't know how old he was when he went there, but he was young, right? He went there with Khalil Sayyid pretty young. They were, they, they got to the United States. I want to say 81 or 82. My, they, my parents had already been separated. I'm not sure if the divorce was final at that. It must've been final at that point or just becoming final. Um, but they came after my parents had separated, to New York. So my mother stayed in Jersey and my dad and, um, uncle Muhammad went to, um, New York. And so that's where they were. So, yeah, I would say maybe in their thirties, that's okay. all right. Maybe they were, 
But I mean, he was married to a German woman. Like he was yeah. pretty open-minded. Now, you oh. know, Tante Erica speaks Arabic fluently. She was living in Egypt for years, but still like, you know, she never converted to Islam. Like, you know, it was a pretty, he was an open-minded liberal kind of guy. Oh, he and drank. Then, he, yeah. And oh, and then, mm-hmm. he, so, and then he suddenly started wearing a galabia. He went from jeans, t-shirt, whatever, just, you know, regular Western wear to a galabia. He started telling Tante Erica to pray. She was like, I'm sorry, what? Like, I pray in my own way, dude. And then he started become. now he had come to my wedding. He told mm-hmm. me to pick a religion, whatever I wanted. My mother still has not forgiven him for telling me that. Um, cause he did support me through the whole, my mother disowning me. I went, you know, stayed with them a little bit. Like he and my, and Tante Erica were incredibly supportive. Um, and then about, I couldn't even tell you when maybe, so let's see, I'm, I was definitely married at least 10 years, maybe married t- 12 years at that point when he just stopped returning my calls, he stopped coming over to the kids' birthday parties. And he never told me to this day, he's done never told me why I found out through, the family grapevine that is because I'm married to Wayne. And I'm like, did he? And then I found out he lied in Egypt. He went to Egypt and told them he didn't go to my wedding. And then, and the reason why I know I lied, my mother's like, I need the pictures of you, your uncle Muhammad at your wedding. And I'm like, why? Sure. She goes, cause he's telling people he didn't go. I'm sorry. If you're going to lie, make sure you don't, have, I don't have fucking receipts. Cause I will share that. Like, what the fuck yeah. is that? Yeah. How the fuck are you lying? And I have pictures. What is happening? So- He's lying because he wants to say, there's no way I would have gone to this wedding of this girl marrying a Jewish man. Yeah. 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 So, so because he, he just flipped, he just turned into like, was he living in the mosque for a bit too? Still, I think he still does. He's in his eighties oh. now. He um, said he had a dream. I'm like what dream? Did Osama come in your dream? I don't know what fucking dream you have, but I, I never, he never shared with me. I, I haven't talked to him in gosh, maybe 15 years. I haven't at all. And mm. he's, he told somebody, maybe my sister, I don't remember. He told somebody he wasn't like, it wasn't true that he was ignoring me. I'm like, okay. So, um, so I haven't Mm -hmm. talked to, I mean, he never, he never said, I'm not, you know, I'm not going to talk to you. It just kind of happened that, Mm -hmm. you know, he, he was in my life fully and then till he wasn't, but Erica still is, they're divorced. And so I'm very close, you know, Tanta Erica is awesome. Yeah, she is. But it's just like this thing that happens sometimes where people will be, you know, super like living their lives, like totally normally still, you know, calling themselves Muslim, but cherry picking it to the point of, you know, it's just, they're not really doing anything to follow the religion. Um, And then something happens at some point and then they just flip and then they become super fundamentalist super religious and maybe it has to do with age maybe it has to do with feeling that they're closer to the grave or whatever it is but that kind of thing happens a lot like like women like our aunt erica are have been dealing with this for a long time where they're like oh my god we met in college everything was great he was perfectly normal you know we raised kids together everything was fine and then all of a sudden he's telling me to wear hijab and start praying and and whatever like they just kind of flip and it's really sad to see that you know one of our family members did that and you know i don't know how his kids have reacted to him and everything but it must be must be pretty shocking um yeah 
Uh, it, you know, they, I, he still, I think talks to them. I mean, yeah, I have, um, I don't talk to my cousins that much anymore, but part of it is just moving around then. Um, but, um, here's the thing that I think people, at least maybe who aren't Arab don't realize the societal pressure in certain families, especially like, um, to, so two things. One is like, the, the United States and world powers like invading these countries all the time and, and creates like it's a political statement to be Muslim. Right. And, and women mm-hmm. who didn't wear hijab before a certain time, then started throwing it on to say, fuck you, Western world. Right. So that's one piece. But I think the other piece also is there is there is the family. I mean, you and I have ginormous families. And, and the day you texted me or, or sent me a message like, I love, you know, I know you and not, you're Canadian. I'm from the United States. Like we don't get to see each other that often, but just knowing that you are there and you are like family that I can be myself with is huge. I have chosen family. I learned that from the LGBTQ community. You create chosen family. I ha- I'm very blessed to have people in my life who have replaced this. I loved going to Egypt and having this huge family and so many people. But when I was a kid, it was romanticized as something great. But then as soon as I started showing breasts when I hit puberty and then, and then I became sexualized in a really creepy fucking way, Mm -hmm. uh, then, then the tarnish goes off pretty quickly. But I think the, for those who, who, for whatever reason, and it is, it's not easy to walk away from family. And I, I don't put that lightly. Like it's not a, I don't wish it anymore, but when I was younger, it was like, God, it sucks that, you know, I, you know, the, I can't, I, and I choose, I'm not, I don't feel sorry for myself at all. I took, you know, we we walked away from some, we couldn't live that kind of cognitive dissonance, but the pressure is intense. It's not, Mm -hmm. it's not an easy thing to do. And I had a friend, a Catholic friend who said to me when I was, this whole thing was going on um, when I was 20. And I said, you know, I don't know what to do. And probably the best advice I ever got (laughs) two things he said to me, but the best thing he said to me was, um, either choice will bring you pain, which is the choice you can, which is the pain you can live with. Mm-hmm. And I've literally made every big decision in my life that way. Like either thing is going to bring me pain, which is the pain I can live with. And the other thing he said to me was, if you give in to this, it'll always be something it'll never be enough. It'll. Mm-hmm. And that was true. So I learned that at the prom, right. That I could be, I can, and the truth doesn't matter. If someone has a perception of me, that is not true. And what I know to be true, I'm not, I'm never, I'll tell you, I'm 51. I am not fucking playing games. I'm like, if you choose to misunderstand me, have fun with your life. I have people that know me and love me. Ciao. So, mm-hmm. and you being one of them, I love you. Yes. I love you. <laughs> um, so we didn't talk too much about your sister and I'm curious to know if when she was whisked off to Egypt, I mean, this girl was, you know, she's from New York or New Jersey, sorry, all of a sudden she's whisked off to Alexandria, Egypt, never to return back to her home. Did she hold that against you? Did, or did she recognize that it, it was, was taken to Cairo? Decision? Yeah, we've had a really fraught, really, and it's sad because I love my sister. I'll always love her. We've had a difficult, I could tell you my, my, I can only speak from my perspective, right? Um, she has, you know, her, her, what she has shared with me, is like, our mom is our mom. She grew up in this culture, you know, she grew up in a certain way that 
she almost can't be held accountable for her actions where I should have waited a year until she finished high school. I should have done this or that. And I said, Mm. and I was honest. I said, I was 20. I wasn't thinking about you. And she said, yeah, because you're selfish. And it's like, okay, that might be true, but I was 20. Like I, I, I can't take, you know, what was I supposed to do? Go to Egypt and get you like, and raise you at 60. Like, how would that have even worked? So, and we had a traumatic and fucked up childhood and um, having parents that hate each other and you, and you see it, like there was no ever, there was, it's not even like their love lost or they grew, grew apart. They just hated each other. Um, it, our relationship sadly has been deeply impacted. She's very wounded. I love her and I can't, you know, none of us can heal another's wounds at all. Um, it's not a thing we can do. And so the wounds she carry, she blames me. She, she blames a lot of people, but, or maybe she just blames me. Actually, I'm telling that I'm telling myself that story. Maybe it is just me. I don't know, but I just know that I can't heal her wounds and it breaks my heart because I've tried and, and that's not a thing that's been able to happen. No, like you said, it's just not, it's just not possible, but you are helping a lot of people to heal past their trauma and to grow. Now there's a, your work as a faith leader with the UU church, as you mentioned. So you're the president of the liberal religious educators association and the lead ministry team. You're part of the lead ministry team of the church of the larger fellowship. So those are some pretty prominent positions um, at the UU church. I'd like to talk to you a little bit about it just in general. What is the UU church about? Um, and your role, what it is that you do there. And then I'm also curious to know how often you come across ex-Muslims. Are they feeling that your church is a place where they can go to escape the religious fundamentalism that they grew up with? I know that you probably see a lot of people from the LGBT community that have been disowned, but are you seeing ex-Muslims as well? So, um, that's a lot. Okay, here, let's yeah. start with Unitarian <laughs> Universalism is a non-creedal faith. So where Islam, the creed is, you have to declare God is one and Muhammad is his prophet, right? That is not, in, in Unitarian Universalism, we have a lot of atheists, a lot of humanists. Um, so it's not a faith that is grounded in whether or not you believe in God is not as is, is a personal thing. What, what binds us is covenant and community. How do we be in community uh, to search for truth and meaning? Um, and so and a universal love and affirmation for people in the fullness of who they are, right? And so with, um, with us, I actually wasn't going to do any religion, but my daughter's best friend when she was five um, was a Dutch Reformed Christian. And if my daughter comes home one day and declares to me and her father that Jesus is the light of the world, and we're like, no, he's not. So <laughs> it was... I know. Uh, so I was like, and I had already been to a UU congregation. And so I said, well, let me just try it. And we went actually the four of us went and it was just love at first sight. I mean, I don't even remember what the first sermon was about, but it had nothing to do with heaven and hell. And I actually said to the religious educator, um, I said, you don't talk about hell, right? She goes, good Lord. No. And I'm like, oh, awesome. Lord's name in vain. I signed me up. So, um, it's very, uh, Hmm. It's about like trying to, I don't believe that things happen for a reason. I believe we create reason. We make meaning out of things that happen and try to figure out why we're here. I mean, we don't know why we're here. And I think we're wired to want religion, right? And so um, I became religious. My training is actually in social work. I'm an MSW. Um, and I got, I went to New York City, um, Hunter College. And then that was, talk about training. Um, and so 
I did that before I had children. And then once I became UU, I started teaching. Um, I and I'm a sexuality educator as well. So I, we, we have a program called Our Whole Lives. So I started doing that. And that's really when I started doing this as a career full time is I, I went to umpteen trainings and um, wanting to say to folks, you are whole and holy and sacred, no matter where you are, no matter what you believe. And that is not easy. Like, it's hard for me to believe that Mitch McConnell has inherent worth and dignity. Like it really is, but he is a human being and, you know, he, it's between him and his own, whatever the fuck conscience he may or may not have, but it's not that it's an easy thing to espouse, but I try, right. I try to feel like, how do I not become what I hate? How do I not become what? And so that's part of, um, I did a sermon. I have a tattoo, you know, which is also really fun. And I did a sermon on the sacredness of tattoos. Like that's what I love about being a UU. I went to the forest and had this transformational experience. I did a whole sermon on it on um, forest bathing. And so it's 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 a faith we try to make meaning. And while we make meaning, we want to let people know, especially those who've been targeted in the United States. They're passing laws to target trans children what the actual fuck. And so we're a place to say you are whole and holy and loved in, in the fullness of who you are, because there's not enough right now. We have a, a, the Christian theocracy, which very much is reminiscent of the Muslim theocracies of trying to control women and trying to um, control how people live. And so Unitarian Universalism is trying to be the counter to that and say, no, religion does not need to be this toxic controlling, um, abusive place. Now, do we see Muslims? Here's what's interesting. We, we, we have some Muslims. And like you said, we have queer Muslims. Um, and we have a lot of Muslims who say they're UU Muslim. I do not identify as UU Muslim at all. I'm not Muslim. I'm Unitarian Universal solidly, but we do have some folks also in leadership. We don't have as many as that one would think, partly because there are now queer mosques being started. There's actually, I think, in Canada and the U.S., yeah. um, there are women-led mosques. So now there's a little bit of a, a liberal Muslim movement that's happening. But we do have some. And I was just talking with a couple of colleagues who are Arab, who grew up Muslim. And we were saying, like, why are there so few um, ex-Muslims or even few Muslim leaders. And I'm like, cause we're not, we don't grow up in our society wanting to be sheikhs. Like that's not, at least not in my family. Like, that wasn't really a thing. Like you want to be an engineer or a doctor or something, you know, capitalist and make a lot of money. And, and a sheikh is like, if you are going to be a sheikh, you have to teach in Qatar or teach at a university and, and still make a lot of money. That's one of my uncle Muhammad's cause we all have several uncle Muhammad's, um, um, did, but it, hmm. We here's here's the challenge that I've that has been voiced in Unitarian Universalism. Um, Muslims, and again, there's not many who come in, but the ones who do, there there can be anti-Islamic sentiment. Sometimes because of what's going on in Israel, there's still prickly thorns about not saying that you know what's going on in Israel is, um, the, you know, Israel is being oppressive to the Palestinians. That becomes um, inflammatory. And so, and then there's Muslims who have said, you know, people start grilling them about 9-11. And so our spaces, UU spaces, um, we're, as one youth advisor once said to me, we're so close to being cool and we're still a product of this society. I mean, we don't live in a vacuum. And so we still have racist incidents, anti-Islamic incidents, anti, so we're, and to me, 
what I try to do is say, okay, well, here's the place where we can talk about this and not pretend it's not happening. Like here's where we can create a container within a faith community and say, how can we have hard conversations and name the hard things so we don't continue to abuse each other or create, um, as a friend of mine said, spiritual malpractice, right? So the faith, you know, liberal religion, especially, especially liberal faith development, like to me, what's exciting is how do we make meaning out of things that are truly horrific and terrible? And, and that's a question. It's not, I don't have the answer at all, but it's about kind of presenting it and, um, trying to, trying to figure it all out. And it's funny that I became a religious leader when religion, I wanted nothing to do with religion for a very long time, like nothing, like I didn't give a fuck, but here's the thing that's true. And I teach this about sexuality. When I talk to parents about teaching healthy sex ed, if you don't teach your children about sex, someone else will. And it's true about religion. If you don't teach your children what your values are, even if you're, you know, even if you're an atheist, whatever it is, say, here's how I view the world. And your children can do what they want anyway. That is a true. However, you still communicate to them. And and then here's what I will also say. I tried very hard with my children who are now young adults that they can tell me anything and I will love them. They can literally tell me anything and I will adore them and love them. They are the two people. What I say to people is they are the two people on this planet that have the dispensation to say anything and I will never, ever cut them off. That's not a thing that will happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so Luke's at my sure son because, that. you know, he's an ornery. He's like, what if I killed somebody? That's ridiculous. I'm like, well, I'd be upset and sad and disappointed, but I would bring you cookies in prison. Like, listen, I'm going to, I'm there. I'm the, I mean, I wouldn't like it. Let's try not to. Like, I don't yeah. know why we're going there, but <laughs> I think he's he said hilarious. it. Oh, yeah. Both my children are very funny, but yeah. So. All right. So we're going to open it up to the QA with everybody that's here. Welcome everyone. Um, if you have any questions or comments for Aisha, please um, just click on the little emoji or wave at me, let me know. Turn on your mic. I think Lois. there's already a question in the chat. Do you want me to answer it? Or do you want to? Yeah. Okay. Well, I'll just read that question from Trisha. Trisha asks, is the dislike of marrying a Jew the same if you'd married a Christian? If not, why? And what's the difference? Um, I don't know. It's exactly the same. My mother didn't care. I mean, I think the anti-Semitic piece probably made it a little worse, but she would have absolutely left if it was a Christian. It didn't matter. Like it absolutely um, she would have had exactly the same reaction. Just the fact that the person wasn't a Muslim and didn't convert. And I had no desire for them to convert at all. And she knew that, which also upset her, but no, it didn't matter. All right. Uh, Lois. Thanks. Uh, and thank you so much for all the discussion today. It was great. I've always been fascinated by the Unitarian Universalist and how does it differ from just a caring humanist society? I mean, some people define religion as having some central supernatural, you know, being as a belief. And I'm just interested in calling you, you a religion. Um, so that's interesting because we, we also have that discussion about what we are, but the re- because the entire universalism, 
doesn't strictly say that there is no God. Like we don't, there's not necessarily the theology and the search for God is the theology, which sounds a little kind of circuitous, but it's not the part of the reason why we're not strictly humanist is we do have people who want to worship feeling the sacred and having a space to say that which is bigger than ourselves, that which is what we call the divine or, and, and we believe in a divine spark in each of us, but, and that there isn't space for that in strictly, you know, in the ethical culture society, which is great, but, or, or in humanist society. I mean, we have a lot of humanists. Um, and I think the reason why Unitarian Universalism wants to maintain that we are a faith is that there is still something bigger than us that we can't explain. And we don't necessarily seek to explain what the divine looks like. Um, I will say one of the things I'm grateful for how I grew up is I never internalized God as a man or a man in the sky or like Santa in the sky, but rather energy. God is energy. It's like, okay, there's something bigger than us. So I think it's not that there's a conclusion that there's nothing, uh, but rather, you know, what does it feel like to exist in a space where the question remains unanswered? And we have, we, we're, we, people, I was, I was saying this to Yasmin earlier before we went on, people in the United States are really bad at nuance. And I think religion is bad at nuance, but it doesn't have to be like, we don't need to have the answers and still be part of a faith and a deep faith community. So that, that's what I, it's like, the questions themselves are worth grappling, but as long as those questions don't take away the humanity of another. Does that make sense? Yes, thank you. All right, we have another question in the chat. This one's from Anna, and she's asking, any advice to those of us who are in loving relationships with spouses who have religious beliefs opposed to our own? I don't know how practicing of a Jewish person Wayne was, but he, he wasn't very practicing. Um, and I will, here's what I also will tell you. His family embraced me. They did not give a shit. Like, and they embraced Uncle Mohammed and Erica. She would often come to my late mother-in-law's house. Um, here's the thing about that. Hmm. It is, um, I, I never try to change another person's mind at all. This is true. I do, I do. Um, workshops on race and identity in the United States, fun times. Uh, one of the things I don't do ever, and I do have people who argue with me, white people, um, I don't try to change another person's mind. Now, in terms of interpersonal relationships, as I get older, especially, um, I can't expend my own energy on trying to convince someone who's going to take away the humanity of others. Now, if your religious beliefs are such that one is one religion and the other is another religion, and you're fine with that, that's fine. Um, it's not, you know, it's not bad, but if, if there's a fundamental, like, like I could not be married to well, a, I'm not married again, but B, I couldn't be in relationship with someone who fundamentally believed there's something wrong with people who are in the LGBT community or that that's a sin. Like I personally couldn't do that. Um, and so it's really going to be about how your values, how, you'll, you're always going to know what your boundaries are and what you can live with. It's never about the other person. It's about what can you accept. Um, and, and you only, you know what that line is. Um, and I, I mean, I have a huge capacity to exist with people who don't agree with me, um, but I won't compromise what I believe. And I also won't be complicit in um, the 
uh, taking away the humanity of others. This whole thing in the United States about people who are centrist or, or in the moderate, I'm not halfway to a Nazi. What the fuck are we talking about? Oh, like, I hate it when people say that. I'm not, I'm not <laughs> moderate. That's not, I, I have very, to say something. Let me interrupt, please, as a centrist. It doesn't mean that you're halfway to a Nazi. It means that you do not fully identify with the left and all of the left's um, ideals, and you do not fully identify with the right and all of the rights. You don't. You don't. You have no tribe. You're tribeless, and you are uh, politically homeless, and you make decisions based on every issue based on your own moral compass and your own value system. That's what being a centrist means. I think I, I appreciate what you're saying. And I think if we weren't in the United States staring down at fascism, that would be a benign thing to believe. I just think right now, I think we are underestimating the danger that the United States is in. And, I, and that's why I say, I mean, I, I hear you and I don't, I mean, I'm not going to argue that point. I hear you. I just think it's not a benign it's not a benign, it's not benign to be centrist when we have people who, it's the tyranny of the minority in the United States right now. We have people who are active. Like I said, there are laws being passed against trans children and we can't outlaw AK-40, whatever the fuck, they are AK-15s. Like no one needs an AR-15 at all. No one. You can't hunt with it except hunt people. So we're in a country right now who is literally defending guns and wanting to take away the rights of people with uteruses to decide what to do with them. So I hear what you're saying. And I think under non-fascist um, settings, that would, that would, you know, that would sit well with me. I just know um, what's happening here is super dangerous. And I think it's, it's, we're underestimating what is happening big time in the United States and, and the voter suppression. Um, I think, you know, yeah. So that's all I have to say to that. I mean, I hear you a hundred percent. I just think in the United States, we're in much more danger and watching what has happened in other countries. And I'm, and I'm talking Muslim countries where people who truly believe in theocracies want that. And there's a Christian evangelical, um, uh, movement in this that has been playing the long game since the 70s. These people don't give a fuck about abortion. What they give a fuck about is controlling other people. It's about bodily autonomy. It's not even about lives. They would they would outlaw the AR-15 if this was about anybody's life. But it's about control and it's about controlling other people. Because I promise you, marriage equality is going is also on the table to be taken away. There's a lot that's at stake here. So this isn't just about we have a free a truly free society. This is about we're looking down. Um, we're looking down the barrel of fascism and that's, that's what's ha and what's happening with the Supreme court is the, the, they have now the decision just this week was brought down that basically border patrol and it's a hundred miles from the border, which is a lot. It's a significant millions and millions of people in this country. Basically the law enforcement come into your home and do whatever the fuck you want. And you have no recourse, whether or not they have a warrant. If they say this is about national security. So I'm just, I mean, I trust you, me. I will. I'm not American, so I'm not going to speak on that, but I'm just talking about this, the, the term centrist, like as a I'm centrist, the term's not benign. I'm pro, yeah. yeah, well, I'm, I just want to say like, as a centrist, I'm pro-choice, but there could be another person who identifies as a centrist and they would be pro-life. So you can't know what a centrist believes because they're just somebody who doesn't fall like you, if you say right wing, you're going to right away, you're going to know, okay, so that person's pro-life, that person is pro-guns, 
if you say left wing, you're going to say, okay, that person's pro-choice, that person's, you know, anti-guns. But when you say centrist, you're not going to know what that person believes or what they don't believe. That's essentially it. I think if we were in a different time, that would be more benign than it is. I think right now, I just think, I, I, I think we're not going to get to, because I think, again, we're, yes. we're not talking about the same thing. I think like I'm saying when we're facing fascism, um, I think being centrist is, is dangerous, but that's just my opinion. <laughs> you know, I'm not, I'm All saying right. that this is, I'm very clearly not in the center and because everything right now in this country is political, everything. Mm-hmm. There's yeah, no, and you're right. It, and there's I, no nuance. Absolutely. There's no nuance. And then we can't, because there's been a disinvestment in this country for the last 50 or 60 years in public education. So the problem isn't even social media. It happened way before social media. And when people can be given um, stories about what is happening in reality and they believe them and, and it, because there hasn't been the investment in how to do a, we haven't told the true history of the world, let alone this country in this country. Um, and so it, public education has been, um, problematic at best. I mean, that's a whole nother um, yeah. uh, show about the problems with uh, education in this country and how much it has impacted where we are right now. And people simply believing uh, because they, people want to belong. Ultimately, we're wired to belong. And it's scary to feel like we don't belong. And so what happens when you are not um, part of a group or when you're not, and, and I get that. I mean, intellect, I can understand that as a faith leader. I can understand that in terms of emotions and being a social worker. I just think, um, that we got here really through a small group of people wanting control, wanting political. Let me tell you, there are some white men in this country who look at Arab countries who really salivate and are, and want that, no, want to yeah, have that kind of control. True. They yeah. do. I've seen that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. so there's a lot going on here. We've got, yeah, <laughs> yes. Okay. So you gave me permission to talk. So I'm going to talk. Okay. Go okay. Ahead, Look, all I right. got First of all, um, I can't, where the hell are you, Alia? Oh, there you are. I think Alia is. Hi. Quite, hi. I think Alia you're wrote a very long. I didn't even read it yet. Yeah. So it's excellent. Alia, you, Alia, yeah, I am. So it's excellent. I'm recovering. It's, it's exactly what, what, what Alia wrote. Look, Alia, you go, girl, because I have a different question. Um, Aisha, I think that I don't think you answered the question. I don't think halfway to a Nazi is fair at all. I don't I think that what Yasmin is doing is absolutely necessary. And and honey, I'm a hundred percent on your side. And I mean we all and we all have different things. I just think that what Yasmin is doing is what I respect and support. And it's not what you're doing, I don't think. And I would absolutely take Yasmin's approach because I think it's what's necessary. I think it responds to all the, the problems that you were naming. So I don't know about that. But I do want to turn it over to Alia because I have exactly the same thing, the hypocrisy of the left. And I'm solidly leftist, liberal, Democrat, gay, for whatever the fuck that's worth. It, I mean, it's, it, we should all be equally for gay rights and women's rights, all this kind of thing. Um, and I, I think that what you wrote, Alia, is perfect, so. Okay, Alia, can I get you to read it, please, so that we can um, yeah. understand? Um, can you guys hear me? Yes, we can yeah. all hear you well. Uh, okay, good. Well, I just put this big paragraph because I'm still recovering from COVID. 
and oh. okay i'll just still read okay you want me so to read I, it for I, you i know how much fine. your throat hurts okay it's fine so i said thank you for sharing your experience with us and i am also a uu although i have distanced myself from my congregation because i quickly learned after sharing my experience growing up in the cult of islam and with my experience of child marriage that it is not actually a welcoming environment for everyone as you know before services they say anyone and everyone is welcome um i was shut down by my uu friends who are very much into social justice work especially blm um they rate and i got an eye roll when i was told um when i shared my experience um i got the eye rolls and then i was told that my experiences made me stronger and that's it and i know that would not be the reaction had it been anybody um, black or trans, it would have been a whole another, you know, you know, like, but ask more questions, and it would be more of a how should we resolve this kind of an approach. Um, and yeah, so I feel and know that you use follow a very narrow path of, of selectivity. Injustice seems to be worthy of attention only when it comes to black the selective view around brown people because Asians are now viewed as who are very privileged, um, and trans women. I, as a UU, couldn't say that my oppressors were brown people themselves and Muslims. I was viewed as a racist for sharing my own experience. And I was just interested in your thoughts about the selectivity and hypocrisy in the UU community at large. Yeah. Oh, Aleya, thank you for sharing that. So when I first became yeah. a UU, I kept say, having people say to me, this was in the early 2000s, oh, can you come speak on our panel to talk about how peaceful Islam is? I said, I didn't have that experience. I was fine with death. So no. And finally, they stopped asking. Um, so yeah, I totally, there, let me tell you something. I'm gonna, there is a UU white supremacy teaching that I, with two other people, um, co-led in 2017 that led to the... Um, the resignation, including of the president of the Unitarian Universal Association. So I am very much on top of the white people hypocrisy in Unitarian Universalism. And I am the first critic of it. And it is all, if you Google it, UU White Supremacy Teaching and Aisha Hauser, it will all come up. And, and um, Christina Rivera and Kenny Wiley, I want to name them as well. It was the three of us who co-founded it. Absolutely. There are, listen, nothing happens in a vacuum. Um, I would never say Unitarian Universalist. And in fact, when I have people like say, oh, UU sounds great. I don't ever say, oh, go to your local UU congregation. I'm like, who's the minister? Who's the religious educator? How many black and brown people are there? Because it is about an 85% white denomination. We have conservatives that are fighting um, against, uh, well, it's an interesting infighting that we're having right now about what it means to, uh, center liberation or what it truly means to center free thought and what it means to um, want to center equity and justice. We really don't have a shared reality um, about even just the discussion on centrism. We don't have a shared language or shared reality about what we're talking about, right? Um, and so it becomes complicated real quick. And because especially in the United States, we don't do nuance well and we don't um, know how to have difficult conversations that don't end with, we don't need to, we don't need to engage in this stuff with annihilation. And I think you use, that's been my kind of like, how do we inspire people to connect to themselves? So they don't need to be right. There's this fear about being wrong or about 
um, naming a hard thing and some, but again, but I had this experience, Alea, with you use, but I'm like, I could be an asshole. I'm like, yeah, well, here's no, I'm not going to say Islam is peaceful because that is Islam is one of the three Abrahamic faiths and the Abrahamic faiths have a lot of things that are problematic in any of the holy books. And so, you know, we don't need to exoticize Islam. It's not you. It's it's um, it is it, it's a different kind of prejudice and racism, because just like, and you use are very quick to point out what's wrong with Christianity. Well, many mm-hmm. of the same things are wrong with Islam. There's someone whose hand is up. Yes, I mean, I don't want, I want to. Yeah, sure that's we- Sahara. Um, Sahara, please go ahead. Unmute hi, guys. Yourself. Sorry. I'm also recovering from cold or whatever it is. Um, hi, Aisha. Aisha. Thank hi. you for speaking and thank you for sharing your story. And yes, I do want to also talk about the hypocrisy or we can talk about the history. So you were talking about, you know, in America, we don't teach the history. So I think the history, like such as slavery, Uh, I'm from Africa. So I was born uh, in Somalia and I flee from my country, my own country because of the civil war. Uh, still 1991 and it's still you know Somalia is, is still corruption war and they can't get their shit together even though it's one language one culture one religion but they still fight in each other you know um, and so I, I really what I am sometimes what I'm I'm just kind of shocked or I don't even know what to do is the hypocrisy not calling out our own history such as slavery, because slavery also were, I'm, I'm not saying what happened is okay, but slavery, Africans also slaved each other and, um, and white people were enslaved. So we, if we wanna talk about the history about slavery and the history of the world, we need to be honest and we need to talk about the whole history, how black people, Africans, people from Africa, uh, what do you call traded Muslims their own people and Arabs through yeah well. and Muslim and Arabs let's talk about Islam slavery Islam also exists so I think what I see I came to this country when I came to this country I wasn't speaking English I was illiterate illiterate, illiterate. basically I wasn't able to read or write you know America gave me you know the opportunity to be the person I am today so to pursue to become illiterate so then I come here and then the, the, the people that you are saying like, oh, you know, the uh, inclusive diversity. So when I told them I'm being oppressed, my own people, I've been, I am a survivor from FGM, you know, female genital mutilation is being done in the United States. So I wanted to talk about the topic when I was in university, I was told to be quiet. I was told uh, you're not going to talk about this story because, you know, we're not, not going to talk about these. So I think that why is it um, when it comes uh, it comes to a brown people, black people, oppression within our own because we oppress each other. We don't marry sometimes. I know Arab. I'm not saying all Arab, but the Arab community society. There are people who don't marry black person when they are black because of the you know there, there's racism existing within our own community. And and when I was in high school, I was told that I was trying to be a white for studying, trying to study English, trying to learn English, trying to learn how to read, going to school every day. I was bullied by the brown kids, the black kids, and I'm not saying all of them, 
but the Somali kids bullied me and told me like, I need to stop. St- why am I studying too hard? Am I trying to be a white? So I, I think if there are things issued that we need to speak with our own community. How long are we going to continue blaming the white people and the European people, but we don't, we don't see our own shit because there's a shit that is happening within our own community. There's mutilation. You know, the, these people I'm talking about on the left, when I wrote my story, I reached out to NPR. I reached out to, you know, these people who said we care about immigrants. We care about brown people. We care about whatever that shit. I, I hate the, the, the word uh, people of color. I want to throw up when I hear, I hear these words because they are nothing. They don't care about you. They only care because they want to use you in my opinion. So, so I was told my story cannot be shared because I'm talking about Islam. I'm talking about, you know, uh, brown people can oppress each other or, or black people can oppress each other. There's issue that within our community, we need to talk about it. I took my information. I searched, I was told, stay away from the right. You know, I was told the conservatives are racist. When I did my own research, met the people on the other side who have different perspective, which is okay. We can, we can have a different perspective. At the end of the day, we all humans. We all live in America. And I, I lived and grew up in a different world where literally, you know, a tribalism, you guys know, Qabil, or I don't know if that's Arabic, but tribalism is used to like, if you want to marry somebody, you have to have the, you have to be in the same tribe. So I think there are issues that the hypocrisy on the left that I was called radical Republican. I just for thinking the way I think, because I don't want to be in a box. I'm not going to belong in a party that just wants to use me for the check or whatever their agenda is. So I think there is issue that I, I, I'm just sometimes really surprised and just confused. When are we going to address our own shit and stop blaming the white guy and, and the Europeans? Thank you. I'm sorry I rant. Thank you. I just want to work. I just want to be conscious of time because I've already taken 15 more minutes from Aisha than I've asked her for. So, you know, I definitely want to acknowledge everything that you've said, Sahara. Thank you so much for sharing all that. I appreciate it. Ali, I'm really sorry, but I don't think we can take another question. Um, although it's really great that you guys are both engaged in the conversation, but I'm going to ask Ali, uh, I'm going to ask Aisha to kind of wrap it up at this point because I think, uh, we're taking yes, a lot of sure. time. <laughs> I appreciate that. Here, here's what I will say to that. Absolutely. There's anti-blackness in the Arab community. Big fucking time. I think uh, simul- many things can be true simultaneously. There is deep anti-Black racism and systems of oppression in the United States. That is a fact. I, I, there's not even anything to argue. I'm Black and I'm not oppressed. Sorry, and I, well, I hear you. I, I'm, I'm saying I'm there are impressed. systems of oppression. If I may, I'm saying there's system of systems of oppression. That, that's that, that you. I hear that you don't feel it, and I appreciate that. But what I'm saying is what's also true is that there is anti-Blackness, there is homophobia and transphobia within communities that, you know, within communities. I mean, it all of, there are simultaneous things that can be true at the same time. Um, there, the history of this country has been impacted by slavery and by um, the Daughters of the Revolution. Google Daughters of the Revolution and American textbooks, and you will read about how they have impacted everything we learn about this history. It is wild. And so, you know, all I'm saying is um, 
holding complexity is important. And, and what you and I do, Yasmin, I have so much respect for you and I, I'm in awe um, of what you're taking on and we're coming out. I mean, and people will gravitate to what speaks to them. And, and we um, are kind of coming at wanting to dismantle um, the harm that is being done to Muslim women all over the world. And we're coming at it in different ways. Um, and, and I just, I'm really grateful uh, that you had me today and I'm grateful that you are, uh, that we are, you are my first cousin and I'm just really um, inspired by you and thank you for all that you are doing. Thank you. Thank you so much, Aisha. Um, I just do want to say, because there's, there's a few more comments that are coming up in the, in the, uh, in the chat there. And I do want to say that each one of us chooses to do the work that we find that we feel is most important. And it's usually the work that we empathize the most with. So people are always asking me, why do you keep on talking about Islam? Why don't you talk about the other religions as well? Aren't you an agnostic atheist? Yes, I am. But I was not hurt by Judaism. I was not hurt by atheism. I was not, or sorry, by Christianity or by Hinduism or by any other religion. I was hurt by Islam. And that's my experience. And so that's what I'm going to speak about. So I see a lot of people um, who are wanting to make very important points like Sahara did. And we am saying, you know, as a as a Christian refugee from Iraq, no other country would take her in except for America. So the, America does have a lot of wonderful, amazing white people um, and every other color of person as well. But I some of my best work. friends are white. <laughs> Your children are. <laughs> so, white, yes. um, yeah, that's right. So the the thing is, is that Aisha's work is with a lot of this anti-racism stuff that is very popular in the United States because they have a very specific history and, you know, a very need, there's a need for it. And so that's where she wants to put her time and energy and passion. And I'm putting my time and energy and passion in where I feel the most empathy towards women who grew up in Muslim societies or Muslim families and the shit that they've had to deal with their whole lives. So I just want to say that we're, we're, we're focusing on two different things, but we're really both very similar in that we have been through some terrible ordeal and we want to look back and say, how can we help people who are currently in the same situation? How can we help them deal with it or how can we help them get out of it? Um, and that's again, Another plug for centrism. That's what being centrist is all about is the nuance, right? So you can be uh, you, you, you can be Jewish, you can be Christian, you can be atheist, you could be, you know, Black Lives Matter, you could be pro-life, you could be pro-choice, you could be whatever, but we can all have conversations together. We can all see the light and humanity in each other, which is what you talked about before, Aisha. And um so yeah, I just didn't want to leave with that sense of we're doing different work for different reasons, because I think at the end of the day, we're both doing very similar work for yeah. the same reason, which is that it was our personal experience. We may not agree on, on the meaning of centrism, but we agree on that. So I love you so, so much. And I can't wait to see you and hug you in person. Right. Thank you all so much. <laughs> okay. Thank you, everybody. I can't even read all these comments, but I love you all. <laughs> And um, I look forward to the next time we get together. Mwah. Bye, everyone. Bye. <laughs>